Today in the garage, we're filming live from AutoTech Detroit with SBD Automotive. Let's go. Welcome to the garage. Today we're live at AutoTech Detroit, the Michigan's leading tech show for automotive with SBD Automotive. We're so excited to have joining us today Andrew Hart, the CEO of SBD, and Alex Euler, one of their analysts. Guys, welcome to The Garage. Thank you so much for having us here. Uh, so I always like to have our guests introduce themselves. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about you and what your roles are at SBD. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Andrew Hart, uh, CEO of SBD Automotive, uh, and we're a research and consultancy company that really specializes around cases technologies, so connected, autonomous, shared, and electric cars. And we primarily work with car companies, helping them with this huge transition that they're having to make from what was relatively simple cars to what we're seeing now of a huge amount of complexity and, and strategic difficulty in, in deploying new technologies. Right. Fantastic, and Alex? Yeah. Thanks, John. Yeah, I'm Alex Euler. I'm the director of SPD North America and previously spent the last eight years at the company focusing on kind of the building momentum behind what has now become the, the software-defined vehicle. So in 2015, that was really focused on um, kind of the emerging cybersecurity needs um, and that built into over-the-air software updates and then really the, the competitive pressure that somebody like Tesla brings to really rethink how you're, you're building the cars. So that's something we've kept our uh, finger on the pulse of overall and, and a personal passion project, I would say, for me. But now I'm the director for SBD North America and manage all of our business here in the United States. Oh, fantastic. And so tell us just for fun, we always like to ask our guests, tell us something about you that people might not know, something interesting. Oh, well, I used to live in Argentina. I grew up in Argentina. That's pretty interesting. For six years. You wouldn't know from the accent. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't know. Um, and, and to me, that was just the most amazing experience of living up near the Andes. And so my first form of mobility that I remember is being on the back of a horse. That's great. Uh, riding up the mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, I, I grew up in rural Kansas, kind of uh, not on a farm, but not a, on a decent plot of land. So a, a different bringing up than, than a lot of folks. Yeah. But you know, in 2015, I took the leap and joined SPD Automotive. And a few years later, I ended up living in one of the biggest metro areas in the world, uh, in Nagoya, Japan. So wow. I've been able to enjoy the diverse range of mobility yeah. experiences uh, between rural America and, and some of the densest places in the world. So yeah. just a little, little unknown fact. Well, it's only fair. I guess I've got to share something yeah. about me. So let's see, I guess it was 2006. I lived in Japan for about six months oh, amazing. when I was at a, a semiconductor startup called Transmeta that you may you may know of. It was a, once upon a time, it was a pretty big deal uh, where we made Intel compatible processors in a very fun way. So there's my fun fact for the day. Very good. So um, I think first, of, let's begin by talking about SBD a little bit. You yeah. mentioned kind of at a big picture what they do. And I think you're really well known in the industry, but for any of our viewers mm. who may not know SBD, tell us a little bit about the scope of what you do and what you specialize yeah. in. Yeah, so about two thirds of our work is, is bespoke consulting for car companies really helping them understand how to transition. And that can be anything from understanding consumer needs, um, technical roadmaps, understanding regulatory requirements, and bringing that all together into a clear picture. I think the car industry is going through such a big transformation. When you look at the push towards electrification, the push towards digitization, towards autonomy, that it can be very difficult to build up a clear idea of what needs to be done. And sometimes within big organizations, you get a little bit blinded by what's happening internally that you lose track of what's happening externally. Right. So we tend to be their external eyes 
in that. And we help them stay grounded to, to ultimately what customer wants, but also what's happening amongst their competitors. So about two thirds of our work is, is consulting. The other third is um, kind of off the shelf research and reports that we publish around uh, 50 titles a year. Um, and that's again, all around clarity and creating a kind of common understanding and language that our customers can look at and refer to and say, yes, now we now we know what we're talking about. And software-defined vehicles has been one of those areas that's meant a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, so one of the, the first reports that Alex wrote when he joined SPD was a common Bible of software-defined vehicles <laughs> and what that means and what the different levels are. And it's that kind of clarity that really helps speed up decision-making makers decision -making within car companies. And kind of a Rosetta Stone to exactly, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and I, the Garage Podcast, uh, we focus on advanced software technologies. Yeah. So it allows us to focus on a little bit. You have kind of a broad range. Yeah, yeah. But focus a little bit into that area, and I think that software-defined vehicle area you mentioned is so important. We always ask our guests to start by saying, why do you think software-defined vehicle is compelling and important to the industry? Yeah. I think it's it's almost no longer a question whether it's compelling. It's almost inevitable, right? I think we live in a world where the digital and the, and, the, and the physical world have just naturally melded together in so many different parts of our lives. The car is one of those areas that hasn't yet fully kind of coordinated between those two worlds. Mm -hmm. And car companies have seen um, that disruptors are coming in and developing new types of experiences, new types of business models that are leaving them behind. Mm -hmm. And so whilst 10 years ago, success was measured by how many cars you sold, that definition of success has fundamentally changed. Right. And Tesla has stripped that away and said, we can sell a tenth of the number of cars as you guys can, and yet be worth 10 times more. So there's no question now in, in any of the OEM's minds about the need to go in, in the direction of digitizing themselves and their products. It's more a question of how mm -hmm. um, and who to work with. Right. Um, so I, I'm not sure if that's... Yeah, and if I, if I can indulge a little bit of a metaphor here, I, I like to think of the, the automakers a bit like artists, right, that are working with certain medium today. Mm. I mean, maybe they're they are sculptors, maybe they're glassblowers, whatever the case may be, but what the software-defined vehicle is for them is actually completely changing the medium with which they're working. Mm. So let's say that the software-defined vehicle is a canvas. They have to relearn how to mix those oils yeah. and paints together to create new colors. Yeah. Whereas in the past, maybe they bent metal. Well, they did bend metal, right? Mm. To to make the cars. It's it's more than that now. And so it's it's not just one thing. It's relearning how to yeah. to, to the fundamentals of, of the business. Yeah. yeah, it's a mindset change, isn't it? Correct, correct. Um, that, that maybe a couple of years ago, we would have seen this through the lens of technology. Now it's yeah. much bigger than technology. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's part of the challenge. If it was just technology, we would have it by now. Yeah. Um, but it's ecosystem, it's organizational change, it's business model change, it's so many different facets. Yeah. And, I, and I think everyone, when they hear software-defined vehicle, it's like the, the, the parable of the elephant. You know the parable of the elephant? No. You know, five blind men uh, come upon an elephant, and one guy comes to the leg of the elephant, and he says, oh, it's a tree. And one guy comes to one the, the, the trunk of the elephant, and he says, oh, it's a snake. And one guy comes to the side and says, oh, it's a wall. But it's the same thing. Uh, it's just they're coming okay. to it from a That's different perspective. Good. So yeah. I think when you talk about software-defined vehicle, I think people hear and think different things. Mm. One person thinks oh, OTA updates, or one person thinks, oh, you're gonna charge me for services. Yeah. One person thinks, oh, the vehicle's gonna get better. Or, and I think they're all right, yeah, yeah, but yeah. they're all kind of coexisting. Yeah. How, do we, how do we get through that and get people to, to realize, both, both consumers, I mm -hmm. think, as well as tier ones and OEMs, 
that the there's a full transformation yeah. kind of that has to happen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if yeah. you want to say that one. Yeah, and I think it, it's I agree with you. Um, and if we like, maybe we start with an inward look, and I think that's counterintuitive to maybe how it should be. You always want to start with the consumer, what they want, and evolving the product to sort of what their demands are. So in the uh, SDV report that Andy was talking about earlier, one of the things that we try to do to bring clarity is actually define what the software-defined vehicle is. And of course, it's more than just the technology. Yes, you've got the electronics and electrical architecture, and you've got the software that's running on top of that and then the abstraction between those. But beyond that, there are so many enablers and changes within the business that have to happen to make the software-defined vehicle a reality. The development process, the development tools, the organization structure, all of these are important elements that have to be changed in order to make sure that the vehicle not only comes to market, but that, that it can be iterated uh, and monetized and you know, valued, you know, being driven to that customer uh, over the lifetime of the car. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, you, what, look, we're voracious readers of your reports at Sonatas, so we really appreciate your hard work. I hope you got that. a copy on your bedside table. Uh, no, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe not that. My wife might not, might not go for that. Coffee uh, table, at least. Coffee table, there you go. Yeah. Coffee table. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm happy to say, you know, we have a lot of fantastic guests. Recently, we had Stefano Marzani yeah, from AWS. Yeah. I know you know Stephano's him. Stefano's great, yeah. And I was recently watching an episode of his podcast called All Things Automotive, where you mm. were a guest about a year or so yeah. ago. And I really appreciated a point you made, which is talking about the journey, if you will, to software-defined vehicles, not as if a binary bit of a bit flip, yeah. but rather a continuum where there's there's gradations of the kind of the full promise yeah. of software. So I'd love to hear your perspective both about that spectrum in general, maybe you could reintroduce that, mm. but also thinking about it one year on, yeah. how have you seen the industry and OEMs through that journey, yeah, yeah. that complicated journey? Well, why don't you talk through the, the spectrum, um, yeah. then we'll, we'll talk about where we are. Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's kind of this 40,000 foot view of, of that journey of the software-defined vehicle, and, and we've defined it in four stages, or 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. So vehicle 1.0 is kind of you know, the standard car you see on the road today. A bunch of ECUs integrated together by a bunch of disparate teams that you can't really iterate or update um, the software capability in any meaningful way. Um, the first real step on that software-defined vehicle journey that we've seen from the mass market is sort of towards digitalization or vehicle 2.0. Uh, in that case, really, we saw the ability to update software within the infotainment system, uh, to deliver new experiences through connectivity and then you know, to, to drive additional sources of revenue for automakers through things like subscriptions. That's really been the journey of the last five to 10 years. And where we are now is what we've called vehicle 3.0 or the updatable vehicle. In this context, the car, yes, uh, you know, the ECUs are, they can be updated over the air, um, but, it, but it's really um, kind of a stepwise journey towards a software-defined vehicle because it's not really a scalable um, software development. Um, it's very difficult to add features to these ECUs, and more than anything, it's difficult for automakers to completely rechange their architecture or build from the ground up a brand new architecture that's capable of really representing the, the, the ideal software-defined vehicle. So right now, it's really kind of a Frankenstein of the updatable vehicle. Hmm. And then what we see is Ford Auto is the software-defined vehicle where a majority of the functions in the car can be updated over the air, whether that be the configuration or the execution of them, the HMI, um, you know, the quality, um, and making sure that the vehicle is responsive, not just to the driver to make a personalized experience, but also that that service improves over the lifetime of the car. Mm -hmm. And the architecture is a lot more sophisticated, I'm guessing, at that stage. You've got yeah. service-oriented architectures, you've got much more on the edge, so it's it's a more, seems like a more multifaceted type of 
architecture. That's right. That's right. And maybe the biggest thing in all of this is the, the maturity of the tool chain, right? Yeah. Because um, you know, before now, the traditional automotive supply chain um, and a lot of the software suppliers that operate in that were really developing tools and products that were oriented to that vehicle 1.0, vehicle 2.0 mindset. So it's taken time for the software supply chain to say, we need to completely rethink yeah. how we're um, kind of supporting our customers with the tools that they need to kind of go further along on this journey. Yeah. And that's where companies like Sonatus come into play, where yeah. uh, you provide tools for, for OEMs to um, you know, more sustainably and more um, you know, scalably uh, implement software. Yeah. So, and I think likewise, when you talk about that development tools, I think the idea of developing software that works on one exact hardware block for yeah. perpetuity yeah. is a completely different yeah. challenge than anticipating, yeah. you know, like we were on a panel yesterday talking about how you, know, you have to anticipate the applications you don't even know about yeah, yet, yeah. as opposed to what you were doing just yeah. today. Mm -hmm. But you asked about kind of where we are right. a year on. I think if you look at a macro level within the industry, um, OEMs have fully embraced this. You know, they've, they, they've made a number of announcements of huge programs, massive organizational changes, big new teams being built up, um, commitments to build their own OSs, commitments to speed up the digitization. I think that that rush over the last 12 months has hit a few brick walls where they've started to realize what well, actually, this isn't about throwing money or people at it. I think some of those OEMs that made big proclamations and, and took on ambitious levels of insourcing um, are now starting to realize that there's a fundamental um, change in mindset, in culture, in the environment that's required within their organizations to be able to support their, their technology strategies. And that's the hard bit. That's where a lot of the work now is starting to focus on is how do you change that culture, that agility, that way of working while still operating business as usual? You know, they still need to make cars. And, and most of those cars uh, today aren't software defined in, in, the, in the way that Alex just described it. Um, so they need to keep both their current businesses moving to sell cars, to make money, to make profit, while somehow carving out a new part of the business which is a completely different being with a different DNA, different way of working, different way of partnering. And that kind of um, slight schizophrenia right. <laughs> within an organization can create fractures and tears and can, can make things painful. And we're seeing a lot of pain within OEMs, which is natural. Um, I think the key is to find the right balance, the right speed, the right partners, the right business model, so that you don't break what you've got, but you still make good steps forward. And that's what we see right now, a year on, a lot of OEMs are trying to find the right... Kind of, the right. Grow, kind of growing pains about yeah. this process. And you mentioned a couple of things there. One is you mentioned the right partners, and then you also mentioned earlier about bold steps and, in, and extensive insourcing. And I think if I, yeah. if I slightly oversimplify, what I think I've seen over the past couple of years is the vast majority of certainly your larger OEMs yeah. are saying, I'm going to do everything myself. You see Carryad, mm -hmm. you see Woven, Woven yeah. Toyota, and so on where they're largely trying to take everything themselves. But it seems to me you're now seeing a shift back where they're saying, well, actually yeah. there's some challenges there. And I think there feels like there's an opportunity for sensible yeah. partnerships to solve parts of the problem. Yeah. Is that what you're seeing? I think we, I think what you generally see, and we've seen for the last 15 years, especially since the, the advent of connectivity in cars, is a regular swaying from outsourcing right. to insourcing right. within the OEMs and over swinging on both sides yeah. and so OEMs that have kind of committed a lot more to insourcing normally what happens is that they face challenges 
executives start to get a bit nervous about how much money is being spent. They start to question why so much has been done in-house and they'll swing and sometimes they'll overswing. On the other side, you'll see kind of teams that suddenly feel tied down to one supplier or one partner and feel, oh, we should be more independent. And so they start swinging the other way. So there's always this swinging. I think what they're trying to reach is a a good balance. And a few OEMs have achieved that, Mm -hmm. Um, but it takes a lot of, um, I'd say, maturity and knowledge in an executive level to trust that that's the right way. And that's the hard part because executives within most of the big OEMs don't have a strong background in software. So they see things through kind of different lenses. Um, And so when you say to them, okay, is this the right strategy? It's like, I don't know. So the temptation is to swing another way or another way or someone else but, comes in and says oh we should do that we should yeah. partner with them but I, I think maybe the, the the key insight or the key recognition that's happened now and it, it was always there at certain levels but i think there is now kind of a, a lockstep alignment across a, a, a wide you know majority of the uh the mass market oems is we need to focus on building differentiating software yeah. experiences so once they say this is our brand these are our brands for each brand this is our identity for that brand and here are the features, the experiences, the capabilities that we're building out that feed into that sort of um, that brand value. That's the stuff that they want to insource, right? That's yeah. the that's the IP that they want to own. Right. Right. And and now the the thinking is going towards okay, we will have our software developers focus on iterating on that and building kind of mature iterative experiences, and then we'll work with our partners to integrate different parts of that non-differentiating enablement stack, like the tools and the platforms. But there probably isn't a one-size-fits-all, right? I think every OEM is going to arrive at slightly different conclusions as to what's the right balance and what's the right partnership network based on what their own strategic goals are, what even what their their reach is, their volumes. So many of these things come into play that says, okay, this is the right level of software-defined vehicles for us, and this is the right strategy for us based on what we want to achieve. Um, so yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting as, as different OEMs try different things. Yeah, I think so. And and you, you mentioned differentiating and non-differentiating, and I, we make a lot of infrastructural components, yeah. underlying technologies that we think are and are super important to enable the kind of evolving software-defined vehicles you mentioned. But nobody's going to buy a car because of the infrastructure. No. But the infrastructure mm. is critical. Yeah. So why? Why do that in-house yeah. when there's so much differentiating stuff that you need yeah. to do, as Alex said, to yeah. provide your identity and your unique value yeah. prop? So I think that's where we feel like there's some happy medium that can be There achieved. is, yeah. I think there are other factors beyond cost and differentiation that have played into their historical decision-making. It concerns around security, the agility or lack of agility. There's a bunch of other factors that determine whether they should go in-house. Sometimes it's a matter of pride. Right. Sometimes there are teams that want to be able to demonstrate that they can do that. And politics plays a big part of it. Sure. So it is quite complicated. And, and from the outside, it can be very difficult to see how they landed at that decision. But normally when you've sat down or when we worked with them, you can kind of start to prop back how they landed where they did. Whether or not that's the right decision, that's where they are. And that's where they're starting from. Yeah. Yeah. When we, when we talk with OEMs and tier ones both, there's always that you know that sort of pride issue or you know they want to make sure that they yeah. can show their own differentiation and so a lot of our focus is showing them that we're really enabling them yes. we're a very high paid step stool i guess or something yeah, like that yeah. if you think about that analogy where um we're really helping them to get our our, our slogan is accelerating vehicle software innovation yeah. for a reason we're not trying to replace them we're not mm. trying to eliminate them 
We really want them to succeed faster yeah. and achieve their goals quicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So pivoting over to another topic is, um, I'd love to think about if we step back and say, what are the killer apps for software-defined vehicle? Or perhaps another way to think about it is what are the key unmet needs that you see that are still out there that can help to drive this forward? What do you see the focus right now? From an ecosystem point of view and a supply chain point of view, one of the unmet needs that OEMs have is knowing how to do all of this transformation in the right order, in the right way, that isn't going to sink them. Mm -hmm. So if you think of, you know, right now the, the priority is mass electrification, that's eating into their margins, making this profitable, but they know they have to do that. And on top of that, they've been told, oh, you, you're going to have to digitize. You've got to become you know, software defined to be able to deliver a lot of these things. And you've got to develop autonomy and you've got to do this. And now AI is coming along. And there's a lot of one thing over the other that's creating this massive amount of pressure and cost um, and affecting their, their, their margins, right? Um, so I think as an ecosystem, recognizing their reality and being able to demonstrate how software defined vehicles can actually save them money um, and how to calculate that ROI and build that into their, their equation so that they don't feel like this is just cost, 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 cost. Yeah. So I think that to me is an unmet need right now is um, A, recognizing that they don't need everything in every vehicle and B, demonstrating how what they do need is going to save them money yeah. over time. I haven't seen many suppliers in the ecosystem being able to show that from an OEM's point of view that, that really resonates. I think there's also, and you know, part of that really is having a better set of tools to democratize value creation. Yeah. I feel like an MBA grad saying that, but <laughs> um, to, to democratize value creation amongst the different teams within yeah. the OEMs to take advantage of the software-defined vehicle, right? So if you have um, you know, a much more capable compute platform in the car that's running you know, all these different enablers, you know, data collection platforms or aggregation platforms, et cetera, um, you know, there are, might be organizations within the OEM that can create value or optimize costs from that that don't even know it's there, right? So, so you know, just having everybody aware of what the vehicle is capable of and then giving them the tools to you know, optimize their costs or create value with that is kind of low-hanging fruit overall, I would say. One example from that that's come out in, in this event has been around there's been a really strong presence of telecom operators. Yeah. And the reason for that is there's so much more data coming in and out of the car, but that data is normally linked to a contract within the OEM. But the users of that data within OEMs uh, can be really varied. You know, it can be after sales team, or it can be the engineering team, it can be the, you know, the, the um, purchasing team if it's selling data or whatever it is. Each one of those is a separate business model. So being able to help the OEMs um, split up what is one big data pipe into smaller chunks and find ways of creating more distribution within the OEMs of ownership of that and allowing that contract to be more um, flexible than maybe what it is at the moment. That's an unmet need, I think. It's a, um, it's a recurring problem where yeah. when there's a shared service, and you see this with development tools, you yeah. see it with lots of other areas where, well, one, one BU has to bear the pesticide exactly. contract. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. And so he doesn't want to be stuck with it. Yeah. He's waiting for some... Yeah. But central purchasing is like, well, they have to create a kind of a kairetsu yeah. of multiple companies. Yeah. So I think this is a real challenge. We've demonstrated on our, a lot of our products the ability 
for once your product's deployed, you can actually put it in the hands of multiple groups simultaneously yeah. in a non-conflicting way. Yeah. And and by doing that, hopefully make the case uh, to you know, every one of them and purchasing at the yeah. same time that this is going to benefit all of you and no yeah. one of you has to take the bets yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. I think software-defined vehicles breaks a lot of the, the classical commercial models and the kind of pyramid-type structure that we had before. And in doing so, I think we're going to have to find much more creative commercial agreements between suppliers and within organizations between different teams to be able to make all of this work. Um, so I think that's some of the, the growing pains that OEMs are also going through um, on, on the back end. Speaking of the, the telecom and the data aspect, which is very close to our heart, we do a lot of interesting work with creative data, data access. One of the fun things we've developed is a tool that allows multiple uh, data gathering policies to coexist. Uh, okay. And so you could almost uh, take each of those policies mm. and provide billing to the respective yeah. group within the company that provided it yeah. um, to allow that kind of division, if you yeah. will, of the, of the bill. Uh, so I, it's interesting, and I, and I did observe that all three of the big, the big telecom providers are sponsoring the show. It's it's a it's an interesting observation. Yeah, they come in heavy. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the 1990s again. <laughs> what about you, Alex? What about unmet need or or killer app you're seeing or things you are driving SDV? Yeah, well, I, ultimately, and, and there's a lot of ways to that it's being called features on demand, features as a service, subscription based revenue. Um, ultimately, it, it's really about um, creating new revenue streams from existing assets and platforms. Um, the software-defined vehicle is the killer app for that, uh, but the the threat is a bit more existential than maybe it, it has been over the last few years. Um, the, the cost of electrification for these OEMs and the amount of capital that they're pumping into electrifying their portfolio um, is really staggering. Uh, I mean, 10 zeros, 11 zeros, uh, in some cases, and um, and you know, if you look industry wide, it, it gets even more ridiculous. So you know, there's a real strain on the OEM business model to keep you know cars being produced that are profitable, that go into consumers' hands, that are supported, um, and scale well across the globe, while also kind of transitioning their existing platforms or their existing portfolio to the software-defined vehicle platform. If you look at profitability targets for for OEMs. A lot of that hinges on creating these new revenue streams that the software-defined vehicle is really the, the vehicle for, so to speak. And that's not that's not something you know wrote like the the, the heated seats. Um, you know that's become BMW, a bit of a, yeah. a trope of, in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe uh, you know there could be a model in which that makes sense. But if we think about what consumers want today, how they view the purchase of the vehicle, the type of money that they're paying for that. Ultimately, what has to happen is a reimagination from the OEMs of the business model with the customer, and then using the software-defined vehicle to differentiate experiences for the different types of customers. Those could be fleet operators, they could be drivers for gig operators, um, they could be taxi drivers, of course there's your, your personal vehicle uh, buyer, um, and then within that you've got your people who lease your vehicles, who buy them. All of them are paying different amounts of money for different features at different price points in different segments, and they all want different things. So you can really use the software-defined vehicle to differentiate how you offer that, um, what comes baseline, and then what comes on top of that. And then below, what's happening below that is actually the cost savings of being able to standardize 
the, the electronics and electrical platform that's being offered to all these different customers. So that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day for the software. I, I think a killer app to enable that is probably a new customer engagement model. I think mm. most OEMs have only ever sold cars to dealers who have then sold cars to customers. And their relationship with, with consumers have been relatively limited mm -hmm. in the touch points. Right. And so they haven't had to learn how to maximize engagement, how to optimize a bunch of KPIs that would deliver the types of ongoing revenue opportunities that companies like Netflix or you know, companies like Apple have become really good at doing. They are still quite traditional um, sales well, companies from... Sure, and even Tesla's selling effectively direct to consumers, yeah. almost effectively, uh, yeah, more yeah. so than most. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, so, and they have a much more direct relationship, I think. Yeah. Absolutely, but I think getting much more sophisticated around that whole customer experience and, and lifetime value um, is going to mean developing kind of really sophisticated business teams and, and capabilities and tool sets that can drive KPIs like engagement, like lifetime value, those kind of KPIs that, um, that at the moment are a bit foreign to most OEMs. Right. This has been a fantastic conversation, guys. I, I like some of those last closing points, especially, Alex, about the different ways that cars effectively can be used and purchased and paid mm. for and sold. I think that's compelling. So thank you so much for joining us in thank the garage. Thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And um, I'm going to continue to be a voracious reader of all your hard work. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks to see you. Thank you. Thank so, you, John. So thank you for joining us today in this episode of The Garage Live from Autotech Detroit. I hope you don't mind the background noise or perhaps you didn't hear too much background noise. We've done a good job with our sound editing. But we're so grateful for uh, our guests from SVD Automotive who talked about a wide range of perspectives on STV and where they're going in the future. If you like what you're seeing in the garage, please like and subscribe. And we look forward to seeing you in another episode again very soon. Thanks very much.